0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. So we're going to be talking about the matter of the kingdom. This is 1 Samuel 10. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. We're going to start in verse 17, First Samuel 10. We'll backtrack for a moment and look at the end of last week. If you were with us uh, last week, we ended with Saul going up to the high place and he, the, uh, prophets, the singing prophets had come down. Saul joined the traveling band. <laughs> he began to prophesy. You guys all remember that, right? People in, in the town, people who knew Saul were asking, what happened to Saul? Is he one of the prophets now? It was in the local paper. Is Saul one of the prophets? All that stuff. And Saul went up to the high place and We conjectured that maybe he was doing a little inventory, a little conjecture, a little pondering about all the events that had taken place in his life. It was an ordinary day. It seems so anyway. The donkeys were lost. (laughs) So him and the servant go look for the lost donkeys. You remember that? And somehow, someway, they don't find the donkeys, but they find their way to the prophet Samuel. And all these events begin to unfold in Saul's life. And so Saul's uncle, this is verse 15 of chapter 10, he said to, uh, Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. I mean, everybody knew Samuel's words were truth. And so so Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. You know, many, many times we have, aunts, uncles, friends, family, and uh, they might be asking questions like, what happened to you? What's going on in your life? And I think oftentimes we can be very hesitant to talk to our aunts and uncles about matters of the kingdom, matters of football, matters of golf, matters of shopping for purses. I have no idea why I said that. No, (laughs) I was trying to include the ladies. You know, it's pretty easy to talk about the things that have to do with this kingdom. People are much more comfortable talking about things that pertain to this time, this place. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this realm. If it were, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to you, but now my kingdom is not of this realm. And so one of the ways maybe to get more comfortable with your Christianity and more comfortable with talking to people about matters uh, related to Christianity, is to talk about the kingdom to which you belong. Indeed, uh, Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of that kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Our names are recorded there. That is the kingdom that's truly going to last. And so, maybe at the end of your day, one thing that you ought to ask is, what did I do for the, the kingdom today? What did I do today that really counted for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we talk about the matters of the kingdom of God, we come to you in humility and honor. You are the king, we are your subjects. In Romans 12:1 and 2, we talked about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to our king, being holy and pleasing unto you. This is our reasonable service. Given what you've done for us, it's only logical that we would bow before our king and ask for marching orders. Lord, many times though the matters of your kingdom, well, they take second and third place in our lives and you told us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and you would add to us the things that we so uh, often are focused on. And so tonight we just want to lay those things at your feet, pray that you will help us to elevate your kingdom and put the kingdom of this world where it belongs. We live in it, we're supposed to reach it, but we're, not to be, we're to be in it, but not of it. And so help us, Lord, to uh, learn tonight some lessons from this text that will help us in our own lives as we lead into communion tonight and we have a chance to come to the table of the King. We also pray that you'll prepare our hearts for that encounter with you, that our hearts will be ready to meet you afresh. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So Saul's uncle asked him that question What did the prophet say? And, of course, Saul leaves out all the big things that really happened. All he can talk about is the donkeys. Is that you? You leave out all the stuff, all that has happened to you in Christ, and all you can talk about is the mundane. Hopefully, you know, we're good enough, starting with the mundane matters of life, to switch to the spiritual matters of life. I started thinking about Saul's journey and thinking about what happened to him. If you look back for a second... I think Saul's journey very much mirrors the experience of a Christian. First of all, when he encounters the prophet in 927, 1 Samuel 9.27, he said, Say to the servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. So Saul was led to a man who could preach the word to him. That's uh, 1 Samuel 9.27. I'm going to proclaim the word of God to you. That's how, that's how it's got to start, right? We've got to end up before somebody, some citizen of the realm, some citizen of the kingdom that will tell us about the king in the kingdom. So we get somewhere. Maybe it's to a church. Maybe it's an evangelistic crusade. Maybe it's a friend who's been talking with us. And then once that occurred, Samuel took the flask of oil, the first Samuel ten one, and he anointed Saul. He gave him three signs. He told him that God was going to meet him and change him. And if you skip down to verse 9, 1 Samuel 10, it happened that when he turned his back to leave Samuel, Saul has gotten the news, he's gotten the prophetic word, God changed his heart. That's how Christianity starts. We hear the word of the Lord, but we become a new creation in Christ. And when you become a new creation in Christ, what happens is God changes your heart. Indeed, the Bible says he gives you a new heart And a new start. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many? All things become new. So God begins a work. Notice what else happens now. As uh, Saul continues in his little journey here, when they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. There's another thing that happens to Christians and many of you have experienced this. You, you hear the word of the Lord, you become a Christian, God changes your heart, but then there's an additional experience that you have. That additional spirit experience is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, rushes upon you mightily. Now there's a debate in the church as to you know, how you uh, figure out all those things and the timing and how they all work, but I'll tell you this. You cannot live the, the life that God wants you to live unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe you have a second experience with the Holy Spirit and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a tenth and a twentieth and a thirtieth. You've got to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know there's a baptism with the Holy Spirit and you know sometimes on the one spectrum people are saying, well, you know, that's required and, and so forth and this will be the evidence that you're baptized. And other people say, no, you get everything at the moment of salvation. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. You've got to be saved. That is, God changes your heart. It's a work of Almighty God he makes you a new creation and you've got to experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I think we spend too much time debating you know, all of those particulars, but we know we all need it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a command to be ye kept being filled with the Spirit. And so you get around the things of the Lord and He does a work in your life. And hopefully the Spirit of the living God is rushing upon you mightily every day. Every single day. Um, That's what I desire is that it's God's power uh, moving through my life. It's a matter of the kingdom. Jesus taught us, pray, thy kingdom come, thy, what? Will. Will be done. The kingdom of God is not about geography so much as it is about rule. Right now, you know, the truth of the matter is there will be a future kingdom and it will be realized geographically and physically. But right now, We're not there. Right now, the kingdom of God is in our hearts. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You are looking for observable signs. And of course, the observable signs were there. Indeed, Jesus had brought the kingdom near to them, but they were looking past Jesus. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is near you. Tell people, he said to a group that he sent out in Luke 10. He said, if they don't receive your message, wipe the dust off your feet in protest to this <laughs> right and then say the kingdom of god has come near to you bye have a nice day see we we tell people you're so near and yet so far jesus said to somebody he interacted with in the new testament you're not far <laughs> from the kingdom of god that's good but you want to get there amen How difficult it is, Jesus said, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples said, well then, who's going to be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. You and I live in the kingdom of God. We will realize it one day physically and we bring the kingdom near to our co-workers, to our friends, to our family. When they ask you, what's happened to you? What, What is it that you do in terms of the church and life, you should tell them, I serve another king. I serve a kingdom that will last forever. Talk in terms of the kingdom. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Why do you always worry, right? They will be added to you. I have found as a disciple of Jesus, God has done a bunch of adding to my life. People always think about Christianity as subtraction. Oh, you've got to give up this. Oh, you've got to give up that. Actually, you know what? God has done nothing but add beauty and righteousness to my life. Have I had to give up a few things? Yeah, things that were killing me. Things that were destroying my integrity, my reputation. Everything that I would say is near and dear to us, that's what, you know, the things that are near and dear to us, God has added. The things that we're destroying, God has taken away. So the fundamental definition of the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. So if you are a citizen of the kingdom, you are under the rule of God. He has changed your heart and he will empower you for the work that he has for you to do as his subject. In uh, Romans 12, as we move on from Romans 12:1 and 2, on Sunday mornings, we're going to talk about gifts. And each of us have varying gifts. Uh, some of us have gifts of leadership. Some have gifts of hospitality. Some have gifts of service. Some have gifts of teaching. And the key to those gifts is to engage them in the service of the kingdom. If you have the gift of leadership, then lead. If you have the gift of teaching, then Teach. If you have the gift of giving, we'd like to talk to you after the service. <laughs> Just kidding. So this is everything that's happened. Now, thereafter, this is 1 Samuel ten seventeen. Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. Thereafter uh, means some time has gone by. We're not sure how much. But um, they're going to gather. Now, notice that Samuel calls them. He's the prophet. Literally, he shouts to the people, summons them, and he summoned the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. When we gather as a church family, since we are subjects of the kingdom, when we gather, we gather to the Lord. When we uh, are going to come to the table of the Lord tonight, we come to his table. When we gather as the people of God, we gather to the Lord Right? I'm not here to be entertained. I'm here to know him better. So we gather to know him better. We gather to hear what he has to say to us. You see, it's a matter of the kingdom. They gathered at Mizpah. Interestingly enough, Mizpah was right on the Philistine border. And they may have been even close enough to see the enemy. There's A lot of our brethren uh, in the Middle East right now that are gathering in areas where there's only rubble. And I'm hearing reports from people who are in the know that even though churches have been destroyed, our Christian brethren are meeting out in the open, right next door to their enemies who are trying to kill them, and more and more people are flocking to Jesus Christ. What would you do if the church building wasn't here tomorrow? Would you be willing to gather next to some rubble? Would you worship the Lord if the enemy was watching? Would you be willing? Or do the conditions have to be perfectly right? Well, they gathered to the Lord at Mizpah. This is a place, by the way, in chapter 7, where they had turned back to God in repentance. Uh, They realized that there was a lot of apostasy and a lot of trouble, and Samuel called the nation and he said, look, he said, if you will serve the Lord alone... You will get rid of the idols in your lives. The Lord will bless you. And the people were lamenting after the Lord. They knew the nation was wrong. They were grieved. And they turned back to the Lord in genuine repentance and he gave them victory over their enemies. There was a great victory that occurred there. And one writer I read this week said, maybe he gathered them at this place again because the nation had fallen back into apostasy. And he wanted to remind them of the commitment that they made. Sometimes, you know, we've got to be reminded of the commitment we made to the Lord. And he said to the sons of Israel, verse 18, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms, notice, that were oppressing you. As the prophet begins to speak to the people gathered to the Lord, he speaks on behalf of the Lord and he says, Thus says the Lord. Now, a pastor can say, thus says the Lord, whenever he's reading the Bible. (laughs) Amen? Because all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. So if I'm reading a passage to you, I can say, thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this subject. This is the Lord speaking. Now, Samuel's in a different category. We don't have the entire Bible at this point, of course. And he's speaking to Israel, and he's showing the Lord's heart because the backdrop of all of this is that they don't want the Lord to be their king anymore. They want a human king that can fight their battles for them. And isn't it interesting that the Lord, the moment they turn back to the Lord in chapter 7, he gave them what? Victory. And they said, no, but we want a human king. We want to be like all the other nations. And the deep question you should be asking yourself is, why? Why? Why do you want to be like everybody else? Have you read the tabloids lately? Not a lot of glorious things going on. And even the things that look so inviting and promising when you pull back the veil, they're not that impressive. God reminds the people this is point number one of God's sermon. He said, uh, Do you remember that I brought you up from Egypt? I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians? From the power of the kingdoms that were oppressing you? And what do you want to do? You want to be like all the other nations that were oppressing you? Have you ever had a moment in your Christian life where you start to take some inventory and God speaks to you and says, you want to go back to what again? All those things that were killing you? All those things that were oppressing you? Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me God said to Moses at the burning bush, Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And later we're told in uh, Exodus that when the people heard that God cared about them, they bowed low in worship. See, the question that the Israelites had was, does he care? Does, Does he know what we're going through? And when Moses came with the message, yes, he knows. And he sent me to bring deliverance. They bowed low in worship. The Bible says of the Messiah Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Acts 10.38 says, Jesus went about doing good and he was healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Don't forget where you've come from as a Christian. Don't forget your time of deliverance. Don't forget the Egypt that you lived in. Don't forget the Pharaoh that was ruling over you. Don't forget the mud dance that you were doing. How many of you saw the Ten Commandments on TV recently? Oh, you missed out. Glorious filmmaking. (laughs) Of course, the younger people that see it go, Man, do they overact. (laughs) (laughs) Moses! But it's great anyway. Classic film, that's right. I did this for you, 19, but you is an emphatic contrast to God in verse 18. Today rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said no, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves, think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans or literally by your groups. Okay, couple of points in the sermon from the Lord. Now gather yourselves together. We're going to have a meeting. Now what do you think the people are thinking at this point? <laughs> this is probably not going to end real well. He's telling us to organize the clans, the tribes. He says he wants to have a meeting. He's calling us into his office. This can't be good. I want you to go to... There's an interesting parallel account in Joshua... So just go back a few pages. Joshua 7. Yeah, yeah, chapter 7. Joshua 7. So the children of Israel moving into the promised land now. God's given all these warnings about that they're not to be, you know, overtaken by the the ways of these people groups, Joshua 7. So they get defeated by this little place called Ai. And the people are wondering, Joshua's wondering, Lord, what did we do? This should have been an easy battle and we've been defeated by this group. Joshua 7 verse 10 the Lord said to Joshua rise up why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel Joshua 7:11 has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them and they have even taken some of the things under the ban. They have both stolen and deceived moreover they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes." It shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot, remember this, shall come near by families. The family which the Lord takes, implication by lot, shall come near by households. The households which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And it shall be that the one who is taken, uh, implication here again is by lot, with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire. He and all that belongs to him because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near and he took the family of the Zehorites and he brought the family near man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent. With the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. Remember that, too, for what's ahead of us. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor which means trouble and Joshua said why have you troubled us the Lord will trouble you this day and all Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Achor to this day if you want to write Hosea 2:15 in your Bible Later on, that valley is called the Valley of Hope. Every time a scene like this happens where there's a terrible judgment, God seems to turn it around and give a glimmer of light. But this is a serious matter. The children of Israel are going into the Promised Land. God's been giving warning after warning. Don't touch that stuff. Burn it all. I don't want you to be infiltrated. I don't want you to be stained in any way. And of course, Achan made a huge mistake. It would seem that all of us family knew what he was doing they were in cahoots together if you will and man a serious judgment happened thank you for listening to today's program if you'd like to listen to this message again learn more about our church in corona or to access archived messages go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab you can follow us on instagram at LivingTruthCorona, or download the living truth christian fellowship app on apple and android devices Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. So what do you do after you get saved? What do you do after you pray a prayer of receiving Jesus Christ into your life? Well, there are really four things that you should do now that you've become a Christian. You've done the most important thing by opening your life to christ repenting of your sin and trusting in jesus but now you need to grow in your most holy faith you need to find a place to grow you need to be discipled because now you can expect some spiritual attacks from the enemy and now you can expect that you know there's going to be a lot of areas in which you're going to need to experience growth and knowledge and help and so the local church becomes a very important place for you to connect And your growth is going to be dependent at least in part on the church that you choose so let's start with a church you need to find a healthy Bible teaching church try to find a church that teaches through the Bible in an expository fashion what that means is they take chapters of the Bible and go through and explain the verses not just simply 20 minute uh, messages that are not grounded in the text Look for a place that teaches verse by verse and teaches the the Bible with some depth, explaining what passages mean. You need to connect to a good, healthy fellowship. The next thing is prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication with God, and we need to learn how to pray. That's going to take some time as well, but just praying and thanking God for the day, Praying with an open Bible is a good way to pray. Make sure your prayers are directed and informed by Scripture. So you have fellowship, you have prayer. Bible reading is very important. Think of the Bible as your spiritual food. There's an old saying, you are what you eat. And uh, we need the Bible to make us strong as Christians. It's our spiritual food. And just read a chapter a day. Pray before you read. Ask God to help you to get understanding. And then open your Bible and read it. And the last thing is share your faith with others. You have an immediate mission field as a new believer. You probably have a lot of unbelieving friends and family around you. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can get help about how to share the gospel and use gospel tracts also from your local fellowship. If you need help finding a good, healthy Bible teaching church, hopefully we can help you with that. And so if you want to contact us through the website or call the church office, we'd love to give you some help in this new journey as a believer. Take it a day at a time and grow. Give yourself to fellowship, Bible reading, prayer, and sharing the gospel with others. And God will bless your life.